Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand, and the goats at the left. Then the King will say to those at His right hand, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, and gave you food or thirsty, and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger, and welcomed you? or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you who are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will inherit eternal life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. My name is Garrett Harper. I'm the executive director of Urban Ministry, a United Methodist nonprofit and mission of the United Methodist Church in West End. Whether you know it or not, Bluff Park and you have supported the mission of Urban for a long time, and you are changing lives. Your generosity and compassion is changing the world. So let me start by saying thank you. Now, you may or may not have heard of Urban Ministry before, or even West End. West End uh, is, is a city inside of Birmingham. It's the home of the Princeton Baptist Medical Center and also the Elmwood Cemetery, which any good Alabama fan would know is where Bear Bryant is buried. But I have to tell you, most people who don't live in West End avoid that side of town. Like many inner city neighborhoods, West End doesn't have the best reputation. When you hear about West End on the news, you hear about the homicide, the high crime, the low graduation rate, uh, good transportation is a scarcity, there's a lack of affordable housing, and a lot of people don't have health insurance, not to mention the teenage pregnancy. West End has a lot of struggles. It's the kind of place that some people avoid altogether. You know, I can hear a married couple talking about it. Their, their daughter is graduating from Birmingham Southern College. There's a wreck on 65. They live in West Homewood. The fastest way to get there is right through West End. 
The husband says, well, why don't we just, the wife says, no. What if we get stranded over there? We wouldn't want to break down in a neighborhood like that. Many outsiders avoid our side of town. Now, West End's reputation reminds me of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus starts to call his disciples. He calls Philip. Philip immediately runs across town, finds his friend Nathaniel, and says, Nathaniel, guess what? Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, is here. To which Nathaniel says, wait, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from that side of town? Apparently, Jesus came from a rough neighborhood, Nazareth. I can hear Nathaniel as clear as a whistle. The homicide rate, the crime, the failing schools, not to mention the teenage pregnancy. I can hear the married couple bickering about it now. It'll add three days of journey to, to take the mule around Nazareth. What if, we, what if we just go through? What if our mule got tired? We wouldn't want to get stranded from a place like that. Sometimes we forget that Jesus came from the wrong side of town. He came from the bad neighborhood. In fact, sometimes we forget that Jesus was poor. He was born poor. He was born homeless with nowhere to lay his head. He was always around poor people, hurting people, hungry people, sick people, needy people. In fact, Jesus was around poor people so much it's safe to say that if you were alive when he was in flesh, you would not have heard him speak if you weren't around poor people too. Sometimes we forget that Jesus was poor. Now, it's not entirely our fault that we forget it. About 300 years after Jesus died, Christianity shifted from a poor person's religion to the official religion of the Roman Empire, the very empire that crucified him. Churches that meet, used to meet in humble homes, read Acts, they had to pool all of their money together. They were poor. In the third, fourth century, shifted into the grandest, wealthiest cathedrals on the face of the earth. It makes sense that we forget he was poor. Now, our pictures of him tell us otherwise. Go ahead and just close your eyes with me and just imagine what Jesus looks like. Well, he doesn't look very poor. He's got striking blue eyes, pale skin, nicely combed brown hair. He trimmed his, he even had time to bathe that little lamb in his arms. He doesn't look dirty. Poor people are dirty, right? He doesn't look poor. Now, my wife, my mother-in-law, tells me that she was a talkative toddler. And apparently, she was the star of the show at every Trinity United Methodist children's moment. One day, the pastor called all the kids forward, and they were sitting on a stair, and the pastor was telling the kids about the second coming of Christ. 
And he said, now children, listen, we don't know what Jesus will look like when he returns, so we need to love everyone. Well, at that moment, Caitlin's hand shot up. And he said, okay, yes, Caitlin. She stood up all three feet tall. Well, I will know what he looks like. You will, said the pastor. She marches over and said, pastor, we got a picture of him right there. (laughs) Sometimes we forget that Jesus was poor. And our pictures of him don't help us remember. Now, some people think that I come close to their mind's eye image of Jesus. When I was in high school, I used to deliver pizza for Papa John's my senior year. One day I had this little white pickup truck. I put the pizzas in the passenger seat, drove to the first house, walked up, knocked on the door. A young mother opened the door. She looked at me in a way that made me uncomfortable deeply into my eyes, turned around and said, kids, come quick, Jesus Christ is delivering our pizza. (laughs) The kids ran to the door. It was awkward for me. I didn't know what to say. So I pulled the boxes out of the bag. I lifted them up and I said, children, (laughs) man does not live by pizza alone. And I handed them the box. The mother handed me a wad of cash. I turned back, walked to my truck thinking, score, this is going to be a good tip. Sit down in the truck, start counting the money, and you wouldn't believe it. A self-proclaimed Christian only tipping Jesus Christ a lousy $2, all right? The guys illegally gambling in the hotel across the street gave me a 10 across the pile. The sinners were more generous. Sometimes we forget that Jesus was poor. He lived in poverty, and he was always around poor people. And sometimes in our attempts to be like Jesus, we accidentally just make him look like us. But the Gospels remind us time and time again who Jesus was, where Jesus was. He was from Nazareth, the bad side of town. He was poor. He was not a businessman. He was not a homeowner. He was not even a citizen of the country that he lived. Jesus was poor. Our scripture today reminds us of that truth. Jesus has gathered people together and he's telling them a parable. He says, when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory, he will separate all the people of the earth as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. For all of you who chose to sit over here, if you move over here, do so quietly. (laughs) He looks at the sheep and he says, you are blessed. You are righteous. When I was thirsty, you gave me a cup of water. When when I was hungry, you brought me some food. When I didn't have any clothes, you shared. When uh, When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited. Thank you. You will be blessed. You will inherit eternal life. To which the sheep said, wait, what? When did we, when did we love you? Jesus, what are you talking about? When did we give you water or feed you? And he said, listen, 
whenever you did it to the least of these in my family, you were actually doing it to me. Then he turns to those that is left, and he says, you are wicked. When I was thirsty and hungry, when I was in prison, when I was sick, you walked by me, you never stopped, you didn't notice me, you never cared for me, and you will pay. To the goats, they, they scratched their heads nervously, and they said, wait, Jesus, we wouldn't do that. We love you. When did we neglect you? Well, whenever you were neglecting the least of these in my family, you were doing it to me. Jesus makes his point loud and clear. We are called to love and serve those in need. And when we love those in need, we are loving Christ. In fact, it might be the clearest parable that Jesus tells. The message is so straightforward. We are called to love the poor. Now, some scholars argue that the genre of parable is by definition confusing. They say parables are, are supposed to have twists and turns and a thousand different interpretations, and they leave the disciples scratching their heads saying, wait, what do we do? Who is what? What is who? Which is how? And they argue that the parable of the sheep and the goats is so clear that we can't call it a parable at all. The message is just too straightforward. It's not like the Good Samaritan. It's not like all these other stories. It's so clear. Jesus calls us to love the poor. While the message is clear, there is one thing about this parable that had me hung up for years. There's one twist that I just could not figure out. You see, we have heard the parable of the sheep and the goats. You and I know the moral of the parable, love the poor. But the people in the parable did not have it to tell them how to live. The sheep and the goats in the story did not have the parable of the sheep and the goats to tell them that Christ identifies with the least of these. Which raises the question, why did the sheep do the right thing even when they didn't know they were loving Christ? Both groups scratched their heads and said, you know, when did we love you? And, and when did we neglect you? Neither group had, had, had heard the parable before. So why did the sheep love Christ even when they didn't know it was him? For years, I directed Senior High 2 at Camp Sumatanga. Years ago, the theme of the week was loving your neighbor as yourself. And the campers put on a skit that I will never forget. We were in the assembly hall. If you haven't seen it, it's kind of rustic, no AC, almost like an outdoor space. And the campers were up on the stage. They named this skit Calling a Realtor. A girl came in from the right side of the stage with a phone in her hand, 
And she said, yes, is, is this 1-800 buy a house for super crazy cheap at omg.org? Yes, you see, I'm trying to buy a house. And you see, I'm at Camp Simatonga this week, and we're learning about loving our neighbors as ourselves. And I got to thinking, it would be so much easier to love my neighbor if they didn't have any real needs. You know, nothing serious. Could you find me a house in maybe an upper middle class neighborhood? No, I don't mind saying, hey, I'll even share some flour every now and then, but nothing serious. You can? Oh, great, thank you so much. She hangs up the phone and she walks off the stage. A boy comes in from this side with a phone in his hand. Ah, is this 1-800 buy a house for super crazy cheap at omg.org? Yes, I'm at Camp Simatonga this week. We're learning about loving our neighbors. Yep, I'm interested in buying a house. You see, this morning at Morning Watch, we were reading a passage from Isaiah that said the house of God will be a house of prayer for all people. And I got to thinking, it would be so much easier to love my neighbor if all the people in my neighborhood were like me. You know, looked like me liked the same things as me. And he's, actually, I got a list for you. Hold on. He pulls out a list. He says, I like basketball and baseball and football, but not soccer or tennis. I love pizza. Pepperoni's my preference. Taco Tuesday. He goes on. You know, if I email you this list, could you find me a house? You can? Man, this place is a ministry. You're a saint. Thank you so much. And he skips off the stage. Last camper comes in from this side. She has a phone in her hand, and she's, unlike the other two, very sad. And she says, hello, is this 1-800-BUY-A-HOUSE-FOR-SUPER-CRAZY-CHEAP-AT-OMG.ORG? Yes, I'm looking for a house, but not for me. You see, we live in a really poor community, and my neighbor, her, her gas bill was shut off, and she was trying to heat with propane, and she knocked it over. It burnt the whole house down. Well, yes, yeah, she's staying with us. Oh, it's tight. And you see, our house is really small. Can you help us find a house in this community? No, I know about the failing schools. Yes, I know about the crime. But no, we need her here. Can you help us find a house here? We got to watch out for her. I've been at camp this week learning about loving my neighbor. And man, following Jesus is so hard. She hangs up the phone and she walks off the stage. The campers in the skit with the most brilliant summary, the most succinct summary of the parable of the Good Samaritan that I've ever heard. They told it like this. A lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? To which Jesus replied, no one who can afford to live in your neighborhood. It was a sacred moment at Camp Samatanga. The top of the assembly hall split open. A seraph flew down, picked up a hot coal from the fire, and touched these campers' lips. And they spoke that truth that you and I know deep down, but it hurts to acknowledge. Jesus requires more of us. I think the campers give us a clue to the question of the parable. Why did the sheep serve Christ even when they didn't know it was him?
Perhaps, like the campers say, the sheep simply had friends on the wrong side of town. The sheep loved people from places like Nazareth. You know, when your friend is thirsty, you give them a cup of water. If two, door down, if two doors down, your neighbor is tight and they don't have enough money, you make some extra food. If your uncle or your sister or your brother goes to prison, you visit them because you love them. When your neighbor is sick and they don't have health insurance, they move in, they live on your couch, and you nurse them back to help, to health. Perhaps the only difference between the sheep and the goats is simply that the sheep had friends from places like Nazareth, from places like West End. Who do you know that's poor? Who do you know? Who do you love? How many friends do you have that are choosing between paying their rent and feeding their kids? See, I'm convinced that the goats weren't bad people. They scratched their heads. They said, but Lord, when did we neglect you? We wouldn't do that. The goats went to church. They went to Sunday school and traditional service. They said, yes, ma'am, and no, sir. They tithed 10%. They simply stayed out of the wrong side of town. They simply never visited places like Nazareth. Perhaps the most striking part of this parable is whom Jesus identifies with. He doesn't say, look at me, I'm a sheep, and I, you know, love and serve your neighbors like me. Imitate me as a good sheep. No. He says, I am the hungry. I am the thirsty. I am the criminal. And if you aren't serving me, then you won't know me. The call is not to imitate Christ by serving the poor. The call is to know the poor so that we might know Christ. In 2015, my wife and I were appointed to serve Community Church Without Walls, which is the Methodist Church of Urban Ministry in West End. We bought a house just a block and a half from Urban Ministry and moved into the heart of West End. In the first six months of living in West End, I had met more hungry, hurting, poor, sick, and imprisoned people than the rest of my life combined. And it wasn't just that I met them, I actually loved them. For the first time in my life, I went to court and argued for the character of somebody going to prison because I loved him. It has never been more clear to me that as a pastor in West End, I am not bringing Christ into the community, but I am meeting him there. I am seeing his face and experiencing him 
in a way that I never have before. Miss Ernestine Washington, 68-year-old widow. Now, she might be a widow, but she doesn't live alone. She had a a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house. She officially fostered 19 children and raised countless more. At any day of the week, I would go over to Ernestine's house, and there would be homeless people and kids without a safe place to stay, sleeping on the couches and on the floors and the beds. I used to go over to Ernestine's every other week or so and, and play cards. We'd sit down, and she'd hustle me and talk a bunch of smack and, and roast me, basically. I wasn't very good. One day, we were playing cards, and she was yelling, and then all of a sudden, she stopped. She looked at me, and she got serious. And she said, Garrett, do you know what I want more than anything in the world? I said, Ernestine, what's that? And she said, Pastor, I want a bigger house so more of these kids and homeless folks can have a a safe place to stay. I know so many people who want bigger houses. (laughs) I know people who want two houses. I have never met anyone who wanted a bigger house so more homeless people could live in it with them. Can anything good come from West End, from Nazareth? Urban ministry often serves food to the communities. And sometimes on Sunday, we cook a meal, and the meal is cooked by people who live in the neighborhood. Well, several years ago, we had cooked this big meal. We were feeding one to 200 people, and everybody came and ate. We were cleaning up after. Now, one of the gifts of cooking and serving the food is if there's extra, you get to take some home. Well, Miss Barnes is 85 years old. And she showed up early to help cook, and she stayed late to help clean. In fact, she and I were the last two to leave the building. As we walked uh, out of the kitchen, there's a long hall just like this, she had two to-go boxes packed full of food. And the whole way down the hall, she was telling me about how excited she was and how blessed she was to have these extra meals. I just, things are tight right now. I didn't know what I was going to eat for the next few days. I don't eat very much. This might last me a week. I'm going to put this one in the fridge. Oh, I'm so thankful the Lord provides. She just goes on and on about how thankful she is for this food. Well, we get to the back door. I open the door, and there's a homeless man standing there. And he says, I'm hungry. Well, I step in front of Miss Barnes, and I say, now you listen here. You know what time we serve. You are two hours late. You come back on time. We don't have any more food. You you get out of here and come back next time when we serve. Before I finished talking, Miss Barnes got me in the ribs. She almost knocked me down, moved me out of the way, and she said, baby, hold on. There's actually just a little bit extra, just enough for you. And she reached out her two boxes, and he took them. She looked at me and smiled. And then she walked home because her family doesn't have a car. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Mary lived about three blocks from urban ministry. She came regularly to Church Without Walls. One day, Mary started bringing a three-year-old to church. 
It wasn't her own. The mother had fallen on hard times and asked Mary to watch over her daughter. Well, the little girl was so shy and so quiet, she just, she never spoke. She was often disheveled and dirty, and she would come to church, not make eye contact. She was very closed, and she wouldn't speak. Well, after about three or four months of regularly attending church, I started to worry if she had some sort of developmental problem. I had never heard the child speak. After about four months, she lost her temper one day, and the girl had a rage like I had never seen. In fact, that three-year-old was saying cuss words and yelling and screaming and kicking, throwing this fit, didn't know what it was about. Well, a few weeks later, she had continued coming to church. Her mother came one day to pick her up early. Now, I was preaching, and the mother kind of stood to the side and looked over and made eye contact with the girl and beckoned her to come. Well, when the girl saw her mother, she started screaming. She said, I don't want to go. And she started knocking over chairs and clawing and grabbing the people close to her. She said, don't make me go. Her mother has custody. I stopped preaching. The whole sermon was disrupted. We gave the girl to her mother, and her mother took her home. Next Sunday, she was back. Week after that, she was back. Several weeks later, Mary brought the girl to church, and the mother had asked her if she could keep her overnight. Well, when Mary took her home, she was giving the child a bath, and she saw hand marks and bruises all over the girl's back. She immediately called me, told me what happened, and asked me what to do. Well, first we cried, and then we prayed, and then we called DHR. Well, DHR came in immediately. They, they removed the girl from the dangerous situation. But in doing that, they also cut her off from everybody who loved her. Mary couldn't see the child. I couldn't see the child. No one from the church could see the child. There was zero contact while they investigated. Well, we were worried about her. I was calling every week, talking to the social worker. Mary was calling every week. I called every week for six months before I gave up. And I just had to accept that we were probably never going to see this girl again. But Mary didn't quit. She kept calling and calling and calling and calling. After over a year of weekly calls, the courts granted that Mary could adopt the child. I still remember the first day she came back to church. I was standing at the end of the hall, and she, she walked where I could see her. She had a brand new pink dress on. Her hair was in these poofy little balls. She sprinted down the hallway, jumped into my arms, wrapped her legs around me, and said, Pastor Garrett, Pastor Garrett, do you like my hair? Do you like my dress? Do you see my doll? And she just, oh, she wouldn't stop talking. In fact, she talked more in five seconds than I had heard her talk in her entire life. And then she said, Pastor Garrett, I want to call your mom. I said, my mom? She said, yeah, your mom. I said, you don't know my mom. She said, well, that's a problem, isn't it? (laughs) So I took her to the office, and I pulled the office phone, and I dialed my mom, handed her the phone, and she she talked to my mom. Finally, it was time for church. I said, all right, go on. Go to the sanctuary. She left my office, I closed the door, and I broke down in tears. It was just too much. You see, I felt called to ministry when I was 12 years old. And in that moment, it was the first time 
that I had ever experienced the resurrection of Christ. What was dead was now alive. What couldn't speak was, was beaming. It was a beautiful transformation like I had never experienced before. In the first chapter of John, when Philip goes to find Nathaniel and says, Philip, Jesus is from West End. Nathaniel says, can anything good come from there? And Philip says, Nathaniel, come and see. Jesus is there right now. He's surrounded by poor people and hungry people. I can't bring Jesus to you, but you can come and see him. On the final day of judgment, the Son of Man will come, and he will separate all of us like a, sep a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will look at Mary, and he will say, Mary, when things were hard at home, when I was hungry, when I was dirty, when I was abused, you were there. You cared for me. But unlike the people in the parable, Mary's heard the story. And so she will stand up tall and look Jesus in the eye and say, I know, Lord. I know. I saw your face so clearly in my baby every single day. Amen. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m., and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week and hope to see you soon. Bye now.